Hallelujah. Amen. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, indeed, we say to you, hallelujah. And we thank you for bringing us into this space with you now. So we ask that you would quiet our minds, be gentle with our hearts, and let the words of my mouth and the meditations on all of our hearts and minds be pleasing unto you. We offer ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name, in your many names we pray. Amen. Well, time is flying by. I walked in here and saw this green up, and I went, oh, time is just speeding by. I remember this time last year, and I, I was, Leslie and I was entering the holiday time, and we were filled with anticipation for the arrival of Kennedy and Cooper in our, in our world. And now they're over 10 months old. I mean, time is flying by. Leslie has got this little calendar, and she keeps flipping it and putting all the little stickers to show the first in their life, and so time is speeding by. And so it made me think about the calendar, and I looked at this, and, and I don't know if you are aware of this, but this is actually the last day of the church's calendar. Some call this Sunday the reign of, of Christ or the Christ the King Sunday. It is the last day of the church calendar. Next week we begin this season of Advent, the new church calendar. This tradition and this heritage of lectionary readings and seasons and colors, it's been with us for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it's just part of keeping us in the ebb and flow, right? The ebb and flow of what God does and moves through the church, through the seasons. But interesting enough, when I was looking at this particular day of the church calendar, the reign of Christ Sunday, I noticed it wasn't added into the calendar, the church calendar, until 1925. That wasn't too long ago. World War I was, uh, had just completed, and, and the Pope sensed that there was some stress in, in, in the world. There was a great uh, economic kind of downturn. There was already brooding up other uh, tensions of powers in Germany and Russia and Spain. I mean, so there was just tension and power issues and trust at best was, was a time. And so the Pope thought we should add to the calendar a time where we can really reflect on the true reality of power, this true ultimate re reality of Jesus Christ. And so that's where we find ourselves today in the church calendar. And so the lectionary readings that were offered to us are all about rulers and kings our Hebrew scripture today is the last words of a very famous king, King David. And he says that the rule or the promise of God is that we will be governed by one, that it will feel like the first light of the morning sky or the clear day after a rain. So I would say this is much for us to be welcomed into and reflect on today. Our Christian scripture, the, the um, Gospel of John, takes us into a conversation between rulers, the political ruler of the day, Pontius Pilate and Jesus. And in the backdrop are the religious rulers, the chief priest of the Judean nation. So there's a conversation going on there. And they are having this conversation. And we see that Jesus in this, we're, I think we're to be comforted at this time, that Jesus is the fulfillment of King David, that, that promise that God made. We're to sense that there is, in all the misuse of power out there, we're to be comforted by this juxtaposition of power in Jesus versus our worldly, political, religious power. But as I spent time with the Gospel of John in this scripture reading, I couldn't help but notice that Jesus never really actually claims this title as a king. I had to sit with that for a little bit. Because Pontius Pilate actually asked him directly, are you a king? 
But Jesus just isn't one to go into uh, direct questions or to answer. He's a little bit elusive. He likes to get to the heart of the matter. And so instead, he turns to Pontius Pilate and he says, so are you asking this of your own accord? Or does someone else have you inquire this of me? What Jesus is offering to Pilate here is a real dialogue. He's basically saying, is something in you seeking, exploring the truth about me? Or somebody else bring you to this question? Are you satisfied with what others have said and told you about me? Ouch, Pilate there does get a little bit uncomfortable with this, as I think many of us would in a conversation like that. He gets a, we know he's uncomfortable because he gets a bit defensive. I mean, he's really quick to say, I'm not from your Judean nation. Your chief priest, your nation brought you to me under this charge. So what have you done? Jesus seems to, to want to enter this, continue this dialogue with Pilate, so he says, look at me. Look at the obvious. What do you see? Do I look like a king? Where's my fine clothes? Where's my army? My my stuff doesn't quite match up to yours. He actually says, if I had, if I were a king, my people, my soldiers would have kept me, would have fought, at least the king and the power as you know it. No, my realm, my kingdom, my source of power is not from this world. Aha, Pilate says, so you are a king. We're not really sure. I mean, wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall in some of these sacred stories that we read? I mean, you really kind of need to be there to get to know what is really happening. Because you could actually use this phrase and say it a completely different way and get a completely different response. Was Pilate really seeking the truth or satisfied with the truth? What if he was saying it more like, so you are a king? Really trying to ponder that realizing what Jesus was offering here. And Jesus steps further into the conversation. He says, so you say I'm a king. I was born, I came into being for one purpose, and that was to bear witness to the truth. And the truth, those who hear it, those who seek it, will hear my voice. That is a powerful conversation. And that's where we find our place today, joining those in the scripture story, wrestling with the idea of kings and rulers, kingdoms, truth, half-truths, real truth. We find ourselves right here in this story, wrestling with that. I think that's what we're invited to do with Jesus, is wrestle with this. If Jesus is a king, what kind of kingdom does he have? And if he's the truth, what, what kind of truth? Now, I can't hear that and even start thinking about that without immediately coming to mind the famous movie, A Few Good Men. And I would have loved to play played a clip for you right now to help you also remember this infamous thing, but I believe we'll all be able to remember it. But there were some cuss words in the clip, so I decided I'll just act it out for you a bit. So, <laughs> I'll, I'll bleep where necessary. So, I mean, okay, so uh, it's Lieutenant Coffee, which is played by Tom Cruise, right? And he's earnestly looking for the truth. This is a human condition. We want the truth, right? And then there's a Colonel Jessup, which is played by Jack Nicholson. You'll know that I'm a big fan of Jack Nicholson. 
And so right here we see this courtroom scene where, where Tom Cruise's character, Lieutenant Coffey, he's trying to get to the truth. He wants to know the truth. Basically, he believes that Colonel Jessup has ordered a code red. That's kind of like the, un, the, the, you know, the code of honor, the loyalty out there, where basically he's believing that Colonel Jessup has ordered a code red, which would mean he was, trying to, he was having someone in the Marines killed, one of his very own killed, because he thought he was a substandard Marine. So he's pushing Colonel Jessup. He's pushing, I want the truth. You don't want the truth. I want the truth. And finally we hear Colonel Jessup holler out, you want the truth, I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. And it's a powerful scene. And, and as he sits there and he begins to fall into that, and he wants to, he says, you know, you don't want the truth. You like this safe place you're in. You don't want to know what it takes to defend this nation. You turn a nice blind eye to that. You don't want to take me to your dinner parties because you know what? You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. You don't know, you don't want to know what it takes to defend this nation. So truth is like that for us, I think. We want to know it. But there's a piece of us that when we get a little bit too close to it, maybe we don't. Maybe we do fear it a little bit. And I think that's where we find the main characters in this gospel passage today. There are two temptations that keep us from seeking or striving or yearning for truth. One is to claim that we already have it. And the other is to get complacent and not really want to seek it. Now the first, to claim that we already have it, that's where we find our chief priest in our story today. They have their traditions, Abraham and Sarah, their father and mother of their nation, of their religion. They have the truth, or so they think. They believe in it. So they don't need to dialogue with this question that Jesus is, 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 is offering here, because they have the truth. And I think many that claim the status of Christians find themselves as the chief priests in this story. We believe we have the truth. We have our story. We have the truth of Jesus. We have our nation. and God, we trust. And so we have our truth. We don't need to really go any further. This is the truth. And we find ourselves there in this place. Oh, how we love to sing those songs. Crown him with many crowns. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Would Jesus perhaps tell us, like he told the chief priest, that even if your church or your nation is your mother and father, that within those traditions carry maybe even a bit of untruth, truth that is not setting us free? I get a bit uneasy as I think Jesus did. It might be why Jesus didn't quickly claim this title of king because we put in it meaning of we can't separate it from this political religious power. And the history of the church is splattered with blood because power from this world requires violence to maintain itself. To put it another way, we use the rhetoric of Jesus but behave like the chief priests. We decide we have the truth and then use that to claim and hold political and religious power. The kingdom over which Jesus reigns, it still defies our understanding. He rules over a kingdom with no borders to defend, no soldiers to defend it, and no weapons for the soldiers to use. It's a kingdom that inverts our values. In Jesus' reign, the one who serves is the one who rules. It flips it inside out. It's not from this world. I 
I think that Jesus would ask us in this place to take off our bibs and put on our aprons. Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. The scriptures tell us that spirit is like the wind. It blows. We can't really tell from where it comes and where it's going. Jesus' kingdom is mysterious. It's unambiguous. It's not something easily grasped or claimed. That's one way where we can easily keep ourselves from searching and seeking the truth. Certainly there is no freedom and self-complacency about the truth of one's own beliefs. So the first temptation that keeps us from seeking the truth is claiming that we have it. The second temptation that would keep us from seeking the truth is indifference. Being satisfied that we know the truth or they have the truth or at least with what we have, we're satisfied. This really is the majority of most people in Jesus' time and I think in ours. It is where we find Pilate in the story. Pilate is skeptical enough and you know, kind of cynical enough that he dabbles in the truth. But it gets too dangerous. And so like many of us, we're comfortable with truth and half-truths and falsehood enough that we can kind of stay within that mixture and feel comfortable enough and complacent. It's where we find Pilate in our story. I suspect that that's where most of us in this room find ourselves. Most of us in this room, MCCers in general, congregations, We've had to explore truth, haven't we? We have not been able to take for granted everything that's been handed to us. We've realized there's been some untruth in that. And so we'll stay with it long enough. We'll explore it long enough to find that we're a part of God's community. It doesn't make sense to us for somebody to hand out rhetoric that says, God is of love and you and God loves you and created you in the image of God, yet to not feel accepted by God. It, it just doesn't make sense. And when we bump up against that, we have to start questioning. And so we pull away all of, from the traditions and things handed to us, because these we realize, while they point to the truth, they're not necessarily the truth. The truth is Jesus Christ. The truth is God's love that Jesus came to bear witness to. So everything else that we use and all the symbols that we use in our traditions and our heritage, they're wonderful things. They keep us, you know, focused on the journey and that ebb and flow of the Christian walk. But we realize this is a word about the word. So it's not the truth, but it points to the truth. It's a lens for which we can stay in relationship to truth. And so we've had to have this conversation and we get there. But I have to go back to the scene from the movie because I think once we kind of get there, we might have a tendency to get complacent with that. We have to stay in that relationship long enough to hear the truth and be with the truth. But we're really comfortable, I think, putting Jesus back on the wall, back on the cross. We want Jesus on that wall. We need Jesus on that wall because any place else is a little bit dangerous. And in that scene, he's saying, I just assume that you, who I fighted for all your liberation, I just assume you pick up your weapon and get on the wall with me. I fear that this situation is because what we've gotten complacent with or comfortable with 
is oppression. I think we love the saving story, the, the, the exile story. We identify with it. But just like the Israelites, as we step out and we t- try to take Jesus down from the cross and walk with him for a bit, we have to go into that wilderness and it gets a little bit dangerous. I think we <laughs> cry out just like them. Ah, wait a minute. That bondage, the days of bondage, that was some good old days. <laughs> there were some leeks and onions back there and I'm, I'm smelling it and I'm needing to walk back there. I think we get comfortable with our oppression. We're not really sure how to live this liberated faith to live into the truth that sets us free. We've got enough of it to know we're there. We've got enough of it to know we're in it. But we get a little nervous about living it. You may ask how I know this about us. Because I've had a whole lot of conversations with many of you when we tamper with any of our old religious symbols, traditional songs, change words, or use any kind of liberated language. You see, all these things have been a part of the abuse that we have received in our heritage, but we refuse to let go of the power they have over us and release it to the one who is the truth, our King. Jesus came to set us free and wants us to be disciples of a liberated community and needs us to make disciples as well. It means we have to take Jesus off the cross and walk with him. Jesus is a resurrected, a living God with us companion. We just have to drop some weapons at times, swing open the doors as wide as we know it, use language that might not make us feel comfortable, and pull up chairs that have letters and the alphabet that we don't even quite understand so that we can meet people where they are, not where we've been. And we need to invite everyone into this questioning, seeking journey of truth. I got news for you, Resurrection. The next generation is a liberated generation. They need us to use words that they can identify with and hear songs that they can relate to so they can find their way to this table and experience the real truth of Jesus Christ and learn to follow him. They need to see it in us. They need to be able to look in our eyes and experience that relationship that we have. So if we dare, we need to enter back into this story and make it personal. We are invited by Jesus to consider the question of truth and seek it and stay with the questioning. And when we get the answer, then we find the truth, and we should immediately go back to ask more questions and go deeper and deeper into truth. Everyone who seeks the truth hears my voice, Jesus says. This isn't just about obedience and commandments and accepting them. It means belonging to the truth. It means making Jesus, God, spirit, part of our being. Abide in me and I in you. The truth which liberates us. It's a journey. It means to understand discipleship as a journey. It means to start somewhere, anywhere, and just start walking the journey, asking the questions, staying in that relationship. If you, uh, you really want to know the word disciple, it does not mean a student of a teacher. It means a follower of a way. So we're just to, just to step out and begin the journey and ask the question, stay in relationship with God, with Jesus, with spirit, with this mysterious way, and with each other. It's so important. 
but I want to encourage you. How do you know? How do you know that you have truth in you? Because I know that's scary. It's very frightening. And I can sit up here all day long and tell you that the love of Christ is like a big giant net, and you can just fall all day long. You just can't get picked up. But let me, let me read this to you. This comes from Paul Tillich, a theologian and philosopher from his book, A New Being. He offers this. How do you know if you're in the truth? Nobody can tell you, but there is one criterion. If you seriously ask the question, am I of the truth? You are of the truth. He who asks seriously the question of truth that liberates is already on the way to liberation. You may still be in bondage of dogmatic self-assurance, but you've begun to be free from it. You may still be in the bondage of cynical despair, but you've already started to emerge from it. You may still be in the bondage of unconcern about the truth that matters, but unconcern will be shaken. These are all truth, and you are on the road to truth. So I ask you to make the story personal. Get back on the journey. Keep asking the questions. Push yourself into places that make you uncomfortable. And I can say this to you for one thing, because I'm on it with you. <laughs> you have no idea what it takes for me to get up here with you. <laughs> I can tell you this because I, like David, can say that this one who governs in truth and grace and love it is like the light of a fresh morning sky. It is like the clear dawn after a rain shower where the grass has got a little bit of the dew. It sparkles. Amen? Amen.